So let me ask you, you have to be honest, okay? How many of you in here get distracted easily? And for those of you that didn't hear that because you were distracted, how many of you get distracted easily? <laughs> Go, wait, he's talking to me. It just happens, right? And, and in our digital age, oh my goodness, it is so much easier and worse at the same time, right? I mean, we walk around with a constant distraction, right? And, and to me, it's amazing that more of us don't just die. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I went up to the, the elementary school and they have on the ground, as you're about to cross the street, Phone down, head up. Please don't die crossing the street because you're staring at your phone. <laughs> we just Distraction is such a thing in, in our lives now that we literally have to be aware of it and be intentional about just not being distracted. Now, think about where we came from. It used to be that you know, we had to be intentional about really being focused on something for a long time. Now we just have to be intentional. Now we're trying to just be intentional about not being distracted. What do you think that has done to us as Christians? Because not just distraction, but how many, and you got to be honest on this too, okay? How many people in here are really good at putting things off. You know, I'll get to it later. Now, isn't it amazing what we can accomplish when we're avoiding doing something? The number of things we can find to occupy our time, right? I mean, it's, it's just there. All of a sudden, we have reorganized this and we've done this, but the one thing we know we're supposed to be doing, we don't want to do. And we will fill the space with all kinds of other things. Now, as Christians, how does this apply? How do we distract ourselves? And how do we put things off as Christians? Well, what is the main job that God has given us that we avoid? You see, our last section in our discipleship process that we're going to talk about today, as we grow in grace, is that we are to become a disciple maker. But we have the wrong slides loaded up today because I see it back there and it's wrong. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have something in there, right? But uh, that might be on me, so if y'all freak out too much and can't find it, then that's on me. But, we are to become a disciple maker. That is the last step. We become a worshiper. We become a student of scripture and prayer. We become a servant witness. And then we become a disciple maker. And it is a God-given responsibility. Now we got the right one. There it is. I see it. It is a God-given responsibility. This is God's task that he has given his church. And it is only his church that is going to accomplish this. No one else in the world is going to do this. The world is not going to lead people to Jesus and disciple them. 
for the most part, we're not going to do that ourselves without help from the outside, without somebody else leading us and helping us become. Everybody in here is here because somebody told you about Jesus, right? Somebody taught you the truth that is in Scripture. You see, that is how God has laid it out, and it is a responsibility that we have to not just the next generation, but to God himself to fulfill the, the, the main job that he has given us, and that is to make disciples. And so, while this may sound harsh, I really believe that when we fail that, we are rebelling against God's call on our lives. So many times we kind of spend this time, what does God want me to do? What is, what is God's will for my life? How many have ever just really, you know, what is God's will for my life? You know, if you don't get the specific answer of I, I want you to do this and this and this, there is a general answer that will always apply, and that is he wants you making disciples. That's for everybody. That is for everybody in the church for all time. That command and that purpose in life as a Christian will never change. And so if, it's some, if for some reason we fail to become disciple makers in our life. Now, look, becoming a disciple maker, that's down the road. We had other steps we had to become first. We have to grow into becoming a disciple maker. So it's not something that is for a new Christian. It is not something that we just, you know, just happens. This involves spiritual maturity. But if we are not maturing in Christ, that means we're rebelling against his His desires for us against his will and so if at some point in life as adults as mature christians we do not become disciple makers it's because we have rebelled against god and stopped the process at some point we will get to that level of i'm here to lead others to christ to disciple them to invest in them to make them more like jesus to the best of my ability it is a responsibility given to us by God. And so today we're going to look in Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20. It's very, most of you in here could probably quote it. Okay, you've heard it so many times, you've heard it from me, but I want us to really talk about the responsibility found within this. Because this is after the resurrection, Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. These are his last words before leaving planet Earth, okay? This is before he ascends to the right hand of the Father, not to be seen in physical form again before the Holy Spirit comes. These are his instructions. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There is no way around this, a mature Christian walking with God, following his commands, will become a disciple maker in time. And if we don't, it's because we're telling God no. And when we tell God no, what do we call that? That's sin. That is sin. Now, I'm not telling you that you have to go become the next Billy Graham. 
I am not telling you that you have to, you know, every person you meet has to be led to Christ or somehow you fail. That's not what I'm saying. But at some point, our heart has to turn towards, off of ourselves and towards others in our responsibility in leading them towards Christ, in discipling them, helping them learn to obey, helping others become a worshiper, helping others become a student of Scripture and prayer, helping others become servant witnesses. Now, we can't lead others to do those things if we ourselves aren't doing them first. That's why I say becoming a disciple maker, that takes time. But that should be the goal of every Christian that we eventually reach a point of maturity and experience in the faith that we are comfortable teaching another person how to worship God. That we are comfortable teaching another person how to pray and how to read Scripture. That we are comfortable teaching them how to serve and how to witness to the truth. Now, we don't have to do it perfectly. And everybody will have different gifts. And so you might be better at teaching people about worship. You might be a gifted servant. And so you're better at teaching someone to become a servant. You might be the, the intellectual that's better at teaching somebody how to read Scripture and how to understand it. That's using the gifts that God gives you, but you are using them to invest in other people so that their walk increases, so that their faith increases. And this is absolutely a responsibility for every one of us. And here's what I meant when I started, when I asked, what does it mean to get distracted or, or how many of us you know, love to put things off, I really think the American church in large part abandoned disciple-making. And so what did we fill the void with? What do you all think? What did we fill the void with? Yeah, you see, you all know entertainment. I call it worshiptainment. And I think it's a real thing. We made our services so much fun that everybody loves to come and, and be a part of it, but there's no real responsibility attached to it. And we just keep making it bigger and bigger and more fun. And we, we speak to the heart and we know, how to, we know how to get people here, but what is the Great Commission? He said, teach them to obey. So we know we're being successful in here, when you all are being successful out there in serving God. And so what we first need to realize is that this entire call to make disciples is about his authority, his presence, his kingdom, and our work. His authority, his presence, his kingdom, our work. What did he say? He started out, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is a Big statement. I can't overemphasize how huge Jesus, after the resurrection, comes to his disciples and says, yo, I'm in charge of everything now. Everything. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Therefore, I'm giving you a job. Now, why? Because he has the authority to do so. In this job, is of eternal importance. And what is it? Make disciples. 
Now, a disciple is a follower. So he's saying, you go round up as many people as you can, convince as many people as you can, get them to follow me, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded, just like I've taught you. So he lays it out. Baptize them, initiate them through baptism, and teach them to obey. It is his authority. And in fact, I I love this. A a commentator named Leon Morris said this. He says, now he has received the fullest possible authority, for for it is authority in heaven and on earth. He is making clear that the limitations that applied throughout the incarnation no longer apply to him. He has supreme authority throughout the universe. Now, does anybody, you ever think, what got me thinking on that is, do we ever really think about the limitations Jesus had while he walked on earth? He was fully man, which meant what? He got tired. He got hungry. He could only be in one place at a time. He had to walk to and fro, you know, everywhere he went. Like, there was a, as as powerful as he was in healing people, in, in performing these miracles, he was still limited in his ability to do it because of his bodily presence. And he said, all those limitations are now gone. I am no longer limited in scope. I'm no longer limited in purpose. I'm no longer limited at all. So therefore, because of that, I'm sending you to go do what I didn't while I was on earth. And that was make disciples of all nations. So you remember Jesus came and he came just to the Jewish people. And there were Gentiles that came to him and, you know, they said, hey, can't you? And he says, no, I'm, I'm not going to give to the dogs what's sacred. And she says, hey, even the dogs gets what's left over. And he's like, that's a good answer. Yeah, go ahead. It, you're, what you want is done. Because Jesus understood, she understood, but he was limited in what he could do. He's telling them those limits are now gone. And so our authority to make disciples literally comes from the highest possible level. The God of the universe has given us a job to do. Now, have you ever had a job given to you by a superior that you really didn't want to disappoint him? You're like, okay, this, I'm, you know, it, it's not even about proving myself or anything. It's, I just, I, I love them so much. I respect them so much that I don't want to disappoint them. I want to do a good job because they trusted me with this and I want to do it right. That should be every one of our attitude when it comes to the Great Commission. Jesus himself gave us this responsibility. And he said, it is for his presence, it's for his kingdom. We make disciples of Jesus, not of us. Not of our church, not of our denomination, not of our culture, not of our country, not of anything other than Jesus himself do we make disciples. And what's happened is when we get distracted from that, we're still going to have church, we're still going to have this stuff, but we're going to aim for lower goals than what we should. And I think sometimes the worst thing that happens is we actually attain those goals. And we think we did something. And we look around and we're like, look at what we accomplished. And God says, oh yeah, look what you accomplished. Because our job is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus to expand his kingdom. Which means we should set our gaze high enough, our goals high enough, that if we actually accomplish it, we look around and go, look at what God did. Look at what God did, because I know I couldn't. 
I know we couldn't. This is totally a God thing, and look at what he did. When it's about his kingdom, we will take no credit, but we will give all the praise to him. And so being a disciple maker means that we focus on his kingdom And he says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Now, what does that mean? That's the Holy Spirit, and that happens. And we see there's power in that in which the Holy Spirit fills and drives. And when we become worshipers and students of Scripture and prayer and and, and servant witnesses, the Holy Spirit uses that and takes the, the, the truth that's been given inside of us and he uses it to witness to his kingdom everywhere we go in everything that we do. And so being a disciple maker is more than being a worshiper, a student of Scripture and prayer, and a servant witness, but it involves every one of those. We can't be a disciple maker if we aren't a student of Scripture and prayer. We we just can't do it. We won't have the truth. We won't have the spiritual power. We can't be a disciple maker if we aren't worshiping ourselves. We can't. we, We won't. We will choose not to be a disciple maker if we won't choose to be a servant and a witness. Because we'll still live for ourselves. You see, every one of these other steps is the building block to actually accomplishing the job that God has given us. Now, let me ask you this. Those of you with bosses, or if you are the boss, does the boss expect a job to get done? What if he came in one day and he said, hey, what are you doing? I don't know, nothing. I gave you a job. Why aren't you doing it? Well, I didn't like it. It's not really my thing. How many of your boss is going to be like, oh, okay, cool. No problem. Yeah, we laugh because we know, right? (laughs) We're like, ooh, he's not going to be very happy. You know, Jesus warned us about the exact same thing in Luke 12. Luke 12, 42 through 48. He said, and the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what, de- did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Now, this is, Jesus is telling us, he says, look, one day he's coming back, and what's he going to find his church doing? What will he find us doing? Will he find us being about the work he left? That he said, this is my kingdom, this is my authority, this is my purpose. Here's your job is to make disciples. If Jesus were to come back right now, would he find his people active in the work he gave us to do? And you know what's funny here is he says there's going to be consequences if he comes back and finds his people not doing what they're supposed to. Now, he's not saying you lose your salvation. 
But he says there will be consequences. And I, I, I just find it humorous that he gets into severe beatings and light beatings. He's <laughs> like, what, what you did is going to determine what happened. God expects, he, he's warning us that when he comes back, he better find us about the work he gave us to do. Because we don't know when he's going to come back. But I think there's also an undercurrent here of God's paying attention. And if we are not going to be about his work, he's going to step in. And that's where I've, you know, people so many times, we're not going to disrupt God's will. And so if a church won't do what God tells them to do, you know what? His purposes aren't going to be stopped for that area in the church representation there. He'll just get a church that will do it. If I myself won't do what God tells me to do, then I miss out on the blessing and I'll face the consequences for it, but he'll find someone else that'll do it. He's like, I'll just send them. If you won't do it, I'll send someone else. God has no limit on him on how many people or how he could do it. And if he needs to start brand new churches to do it, he will. So the real question is, will we engage in the work that he has? Will we put the first thing first and leave it there and not get distracted and not fill it in with lesser things and lesser goals that aren't going to matter on the day of judgment? Will we start to value things that aren't going to matter? that are worldly things. You see, there is a process that we could go through. We could. We could fill this room up, have multiple services, and make it all kinds of fun and not make one disciple. It wouldn't help. Our goal is to fulfill what God has given us, to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the great thing about this, is it can seem overwhelming it can seem even negative this could seem like i'm you know i'm getting honest for not doing it and that's not what i'm saying is there's a life cycle process here in this in which god uses people to reach people and he does it generationally somebody taught you about god somebody cared enough to share the gospel with you lead you to christ disciple you and now you're being discipled so that one day you can disciple or you are discipling other people and we keep this life cycle going generation after generation after generation and there comes a point of every generation has to pass the baton it's not that they stop it's just that okay it's you know it's your turn it's time for you to do this And if disciple-making, if making genuine disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ is truly the number one thing that's handed off generation to generation, guess what? The church just continues to thrive. There is a reason that this church has been here for over 150 years. And you know what? There have been a whole lot of me's. How many pastors we had in this church? I haven't even looked it up. 150 years, that's a lot. There's a lot of me's that have come through here and, and there's a lot of you's that have filled the seats and, and done the work and come and gone and everything. But you know what? For 150 plus years, that means the gospel had to remain central that it kept and God kept using the church just so long as we're making disciples, God will keep using you. And it'll look different in generation to generation. Things will change. You know, didn't we used to face that way and have pews? Aren't you glad we have these chairs? Things change, and yet, guess what? Chairs or pews are sitting on the floor. I don't care. It's still going to be about the gospel. And there is a life cycle process 
to this in which as we grow into the things of God, we share the things of God and help others grow into it, and it literally brings life. How many of us know the ways of God are life? You see, it's not just responsibilities to check off a list. It's like, hey, when you do the things that God tells you, you literally are inviting life into your world. You are engaging in the process of life, which means love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The fruit of the Spirit is present, and you're passing down how to make that fruit of the Spirit present to the next generation. And so it's a life cycle process. And so we never graduate from being disciple makers. That's the great thing. This isn't a, oh, I did it, you know, I did that once. I made a disciple. God's going to be like, okay, one. Why couldn't you just keep going? And this is something for me personally I've never understood in churches. I've never understood it that if they have outreach going and they're healthy and, and things are working and it's like, hey, we're making disciples, and then they're like, you know what? We need to change everything. That's like having a garden that's growing and it's doing great and you till it all up because it's like, you know what? I want to change it. Why? The point of the garden is it's growing. You're seeing life. You're seeing it work. Keep doing it. Don't stop. I can't think of anything better than a church to engage in disciple making and, and just keep doing it and pass it off to the next generation. Like, oh, no, this is what we do. And it's just understood. That is a healthy church right there. And, and so we just keep doing it until God comes us home, and we do it because of our love for God and our love for neighbor. The greatest commandment is what? Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great it, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What better way to show love for God and love for neighbor than to make disciples who follow God? It's pretty simple. You see how God is God literally is simple. We overcomplicate it. We are the ones that make it hard. God said, hey, I want two things from you, okay? I want you to love me, and I want you to love your neighbor. And then Jesus said, okay, your job, now that I'm leaving, and the Holy Spirit's coming, what he's going to empower you to do is to love God and love your neighbor. That's what I want. And you love your neighbor by making him a disciple of Jesus Christ and teach him to obey because that's where life is. And if I love my neighbor, I want his life, her life to prosper, right? I want her to thrive. I want him to thrive. And I know they can't do that without Jesus Christ. And so I introduce them to Jesus and I help them walk with Jesus and I help them develop their faith. And then, I, and then there's two of us doing it because I keep doing it. I move to the next person and eventually they grow to a point they start doing it. And this is the process that should repeat itself over and over and over. See, to love God is to obey his commandments. And to obey his commandments is to experience the life that God has for us. And to experience the life God has means growing in God's love and thus growing in our love for each other. The more I love God, the more I love others. Those two are always attached and we cannot separate them. And so the more I love God, the more I should be drawn towards making disciples. The more I should long to see other people know God. You see, when we stop trying to arrive, and I think that's what happens so many times, and when churches suddenly shift gears away from the gospel or something, I think we, we think if we arrive somewhere, 
then I'll never have any more problems. Look, Jesus said you're going to have trouble in this world. It's just going to happen. So being a disciple maker doesn't mean that you're not going to have challenges, that it's not going to be hard, that things aren't going to happen. It's just that this is the purpose that we work through even when there are difficulties. We don't take our eye off the main thing as servants. And so when we stop trying to arrive or stop trying to get God to give us the life we think we want and we start serving and doing what He wants us to do, we find then the fruit of the Spirit. And it is through that obedience that we experience God's presence, His blessing. And it's not that we're earning them. It's that we're putting ourselves in a position to receive them. You see, if I were to tell you that if you showed up somewhere, you know, Tuesday at 10 a.m., come here, and I'm giving away free money, and you stayed home and didn't get the money, whose fault would that be? You see, God's commandments are like that. He's saying, do this, and this is where you're going to receive my blessings. This is where life is. And it's not he's saying, do this, and I'll give you this. He's saying, engage in this in faith, and you will put yourself in my presence where life is. Now, Jesus actually affirmed this very thing for us and about himself in John 15, 7 through 12. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You see, what he just said right there with that, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. He's saying by obedience, you are keeping yourself in the presence of God, in the influence of God. You are keeping yourself in step with the Spirit of God. And by doing that, you will live in his love. It's not that he's withholding it. It's that we are separating ourselves from it. If he tells me, Right here is where you can experience my love, and I spend my life over here. Then, God, it's not that He withheld it. He's like, I told you where to get it. I told you it's right there. Go over there. And that is His, that is obeying His commandments. That's where we abide in His love. And Jesus said that even was the key for Him. Notice what He said Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. The secret to Jesus' life was that he did everything the Father told him to do, and and he didn't do anything else. He says, I do nothing of my own accord. I don't say anything of my own accord, but only what the Father tells me, but only what I see my Father doing. And that's where he, he experienced that. And so he says, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Now, doesn't that sound awesome? That my joy, he's like, I, I want you to have joy in life. I want you to experience my love. And if you want to experience that, then just follow me in obedience. And that's where you'll experience it. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You see how he pulled that around? He's like, do what I say, do what I say, do what I say. And what I say is love other people. Oh, wait, so if I abide in your commandment, I'll abide in your love. 
and your commandment is that I give love to other people. And what is the best way of that? To make disciples. And I mean that. The best way is to to be involved at such a level that you are, are discipling people in their spiritual walk and helping them grow in depth and in faith. And you're doing this together. And when we do that, God is glorified. His kingdom grows. We experience his love. We give away that love. And then other people learn to do it. And that is where spiritual fulfillment and power come from. Jesus tells us straight out that our obedience will lead to living in his love. Convince yourself of that. Whatever you got to do. That God is not giving us commandments as a boss who can simply keep us busy and wants us to do work. He's saying, my ways are life. And if you will make the main thing the main thing and keep it the main thing your whole life, you will experience my love. And for us as a church, the main thing is making disciples. It is this discipleship process. That's why I've done this series, and and it's never going to go away. Our focus as a church is on getting people to become a worshiper, to become a student of Scripture and prayer, to become a servant witness, and ultimately become a disciple maker. We want to see everybody go through those steps so that now we know we have succeeded when we see you helping others go through those steps. That's when we know we've been successful as a church. And you know what? That is true spiritual health. And we can accomplish that. And this is is where we get this wrong. We can accomplish everything I just said, and we may not grow much bigger than this. You know that? But still be healthy. We can pack out a 5,000 auditorium stadium and do none of it and not be healthy. The appearance is not what matters. It is the process that matters. The process of discipleship. And, And every one of us has a responsibility to this. When he said... All authority in heaven is given to me. He's saying also we're going to answer to him. He is the authority giving us the job. He is the boss giving us the job. And he is the one who's going to have an account given to him about the job we did. But he said, but my presence will be with you. I'm going to help you. I am not leaving you as orphans. I'm going to help you in this process. And I'm going to bless the process but the process is real. What did he say? Make disciples, baptize them. That's baptize, really, think of becoming a worshiper. Teach them, student of Scripture and prayer, to obey all that I've commanded, servant witness, that, that they now are obeying. Their life has changed. Their lifestyle becomes one of serving God. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. To engage that entire process means you are now engaged as a disciple maker. And it's something that every one of us should have a goal to reach. And yeah, when when I look at it and say, I want to be a disciple maker, that means I need somebody who is a more mature disciple than me to help lead me there. And if I'm one that 
always, for years and years and years, needs to be taught but never takes on the teaching role, the leading role in some form. I'm not saying you need to be, don't just think Bible study. Like I said, if you're a servant, you can teach others to serve. You can engage and mentor others in serving. Maybe you're really good at prayer. Prayer is your thing. You prayer warriors, you're out there. I know you are. You know what? You have a gift in, in praying that you could mentor others and teach them how to pray like that. But we all have this responsibility because Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we're here saying we love God, then we have a responsibility to engage in the things he told us to engage in. And we don't get to get distracted. No spiritual ADD anymore. That means we focus on Scripture, we focus on worship, we focus on serving, we focus on outreach, and we just repeat that loop over and over. And we'll find out where we're at in the process and where do we need to move forward. And most of the time, for every one of us, what this means is that somewhere along the line in the process, there are those we can be teaching and there are those we need to be learning from. And that's for most of us. That's for most everybody, that we're somewhere along the line that, yeah, there are people that I can teach and there are people I need to be learning from. And I need to engage in both of those processes. I can get better at at worship. I can get better at prayer. All of these things, but I can also help other people do this. And that is what true spiritual health alone. And so of all the things that we measure a healthy church by, This is the one that we need to hold the highest. Are people moving through this process of discipleship in our church? Is the process of discipleship what we value? Because let me tell you, we, again, when we don't make the main thing the main thing, we get distracted, right? And so suddenly we start talking about churches in terms of what? Attendance, giving, a strong sense of community, right? Or even personal satisfaction, you know, I really, really like our church, and it's like that's enough. You know, as long as everybody really likes the church, then we're good. You know, I've gone to church, were you satisfied with worship today? And I'm like, are you kidding? (laughs) And not that any of those things are bad in themselves, but they are not the main thing. Attendance is not the main thing. Jesus did not say, go out and build great organizations. He said, make disciples. And that should be our focus because there is a form of spirituality in this world that looks healthy and isn't. And there is healthy spirituality which can often be mistaken for weakness. Did you know that? You can do everything that God told you to do and people might look at it and say, oh, that church is no good. Or you can be doing none of it and people are like, man, that church is awesome. Look in Revelation 3, 1 through 3. Man, I would not want to be a part of this church in Sardis and hear Jesus say these words about us. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Whew. Let that sink in for a second. 
Jesus is talking to his church. And this church in Sardis has a reputation, man. People are all like, yeah, that church in Sardis, man, they are the... They have got it together. Man, they have a reputation for being alive. People around are talking about them. They have the best attendance. They got the best programs. They got everything. And what does he say? I know your works. I know what you're doing. Yeah, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. They've gotten distracted. Whatever the main thing was that kind of got them where they were, they've forgotten about it and they've moved on and they are doing something else. And whatever it is, he says what? He says, it's not good enough. That's not what you're there to do as a church. He says, then remember then what you received and heard. Now, why is that important? Because he's saying, get back to the gospel. Get back to the basic of what matters the most. What did they receive in here? They received the gospel. They heard the good news of Jesus Christ. They believed it. They were discipled in it. And he's saying, go back to that, and that's enough. That will be enough. And the real question for today's church is, is the gospel enough? I believe it is. Has been for 2,000 years and will be for all eternity. We don't need anything else but the gospel in people who are willing to engage the gospel with others, to love others and share Jesus with them, people that are willing to make disciples. Guess what? We'll grow, and we'll grow the right way. We'll grow through outreach. We will grow through seeing people's lives changed because they start getting real with God because they deal with sin, and they repent, and they get made new by God. That's what I want to see. And so he says, verse 3, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So Jesus just put this church in Sardis on notice. Fix it or cease to exist. And there are a lot of churches closing in America right now. You know that? There are more churches closing than opening. You know why we're closing? Because we had a reputation for being alive, but became dead. We stopped focusing on the gospel. We capitulated to the culture and had to become culturally relevant in everything. We became seeker sensitive so that we stopped talking about the actual gospel that requires repentance. Now, I don't think that a lot of these things happen were nefarious at the start. It's just we got distracted. I really believe we just, through time, we incrementally just started getting distracted and we started measuring our church health by corporate standards of giving and attendance and we stopped focusing on discipleship on changed lives in the power of God they had a reputation for being alive but they were dead but compare that with revelation 3 7 through 8 and to the angel of the church in philadelphia right the words of the holy one the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Wouldn't you like to hear that? 
Philadelphia, they're, you know, Sardis, it's like, oh man, they got everything. It's just working. Everything's great. And this little church is just struggling. And they're like, we're, we're trying, God. We're making disciples. We're focused. It's hard. We, we don't have the resources that the others do. We're, we're doing everything we can, though. And God says, you're right. You are good for you. I'm going to bless you in a way that nobody can take it away. I'm going to open a door that nobody can shut. I know your works, and you have not denied my name. Now, no, he says, I know you have little power. I, I know the situation, and that's why we can't look at the things the world looks at and, and what other people get distracted on as far as attendance and budgets and all these. Yeah, we have to have them, but those are not the main thing. The main thing is, are we making disciples? And when that is our heart, I'm telling you, God will bless it. He will open the doors that no one else can open and, he, and that nobody can shut. And if our heart is to make disciples and we are praying, that's why I gave you the cards. If we are praying, God, identify people for us that we can go to, that, that we can invest in, that we can pray for, that we can invite into a relationship with us and with God, if we will commit ourselves to that, and that is our genuine hope, is that then when they come, we run them through our discipleship process and, and, and we help them become worshipers and we help them become students of Scripture and prayer. We help them become servant witnesses that ultimately they too will become disciple makers. If we will invest in that and that is what we value, God will bless it. And I mean that. God will bless it. You know how I know that? 2,000 years of church history in which God has not yet once failed to bless churches that took his command seriously. So we have to take our God-given responsibility seriously. And I mean that. We've got to take it seriously. That's our job. And when Jesus comes, is he going to find us at work doing the job he gave us to do? Or will we have to explain why we got distracted and why we weren't doing what we were supposed to? God will use every single one of us to do this. We all have different gifts. We all have different spheres of influence. There are people in your life that only you can reach right now. I couldn't reach them, but you could. I could go to try to talk to them. And, you know, here... Just a very quick aside, I'm sorry, but very quickly, the reason a pastor cannot be the main evangelistic arm of a church, it's my job. And people hear that and they're like, well, that's his job. He's paid to do that. And I'm serious. I start talking to people a lot of times like, what do you do, a pastor? And I'm, I see it. The wall goes up and they're like, well, I'm not talking to him anymore. And it just happens. But you, you work with them. You do life with them. They know you. You can speak into their lives in a way that I can't. And when you take that seriously and you take that responsibility, God will bless it. And he will lead each and every one of us to the people who are willing to listen. Not everybody's going to listen, so let me just get that out of the way right now. There are a lot of people who aren't going to listen. You know what Jesus said about them? Shake the dust off your feet and move on. But for every person that won't listen, there's someone that will. And it may be for every 10 people that won't listen, there's one who will. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're focused on the one. 
And if we will all do that, God will bless it and we will see health in this church that is unlike anything our world knows right now. I promise. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day, this time. And Lord, I pray that you would impress on our hearts, God, the responsibility we have to to your kingdom, to our neighbors, to each other in, in this church, and even to our own spiritual health to become disciple makers in time. God, it's not something that happens overnight. We know that, but God, I pray that you put us on that path and that, God, that we would respond in faith and walk the path of discipleship so that we can become disciple makers. That that would become a goal, a lifestyle goal for each and every one of us. With all the difficulties and challenges and personal growth and everything required along the way, and all the challenges within disciple-making, God, I pray that you would help us to keep it the main thing and not be distracted. God, trusting that engaging your ways is inviting life into our world. It's inviting life into our families and into our church and into our community. God, I pray like Peter and John, we would say, I cannot help but speak of what I've seen and heard. And that we would take the mindset of a disciple maker in that process. God, help us to be like the church in Philadelphia that even though we may have little power, God, we will not deny your name. That we will be faithful to the call you have for us. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray this together. Amen.